joining us. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Flame. Hi, Fandom. Welcome, welcome, everyone, to Tony's birthday party. Before we get to celebrating him fully, we first have Flame's wonderful conversation with Robin TCJ about lingerie in our exploration segment. And then don't worry, we'll get to the party proper. We have a Let's Talk segment where we'll hear from a whole load of you about why you love Tony and who you love him with. And then Farrah and I will have a little chat about him as an unreliable narrator and what that means for how we engage with Tony in Fanon. Then it's on to hearing from you guys before closing out with our events forecast from Only and Marie. Oh, and I forgot, our art this week is from Team Mom Tony. Isn't it adorable? And you'll find the links to all their socials in all the normal places. So with all that out of the way, let's get started. Hello, Potscast Landia. I am here today with Robin TCJ. Hello. Hi, Flame. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to be invited. Oh, it's going to be great chat because we are going to do a kinksploration on lingerie. Yes. And yes. even though you do not want to be known as it, Garrett and I have largely crowned you the stony queen of lingerie. Because awesome. Both in your research and in ours, you've written the most stony with the tag lingerie we don't know if people have tagged completed. That's completed that's completed excuse me yes i am i did not do enough research to see the numbers for incomplete or in progress works but for completed i saw my name on there a lot <laughs> yeah you are prolific with lingerie <laughs> and so. a lot is like six but that, that's but, like the, that's a lot in this instance. Oh, well, we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But first, let's start how we always do, which <laughs> okay, is yes. what is your fandom origin story? My fandom or okay, so I'm probably I'm dating myself a little bit. Uh, I'm on the older side of fandom, folks. I know, shocking. Uh, but I was really big into the Buffy and Angel fandoms, and when they were on the air. This is not like me coming in later. Like they were on, and I was into them. Uh, and I started out as a Buffy Angel shipper. And then I found out what Slash was. Uh, <laughs> turns out. A good day for us all. Whenever good we day. find that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was a Spike Xander shipper and an Angel West shipper. Uh, I have a bunch of like really terrible Spike Xander fix still on the internet because I can't remember how to log into my Angel Fire account and delete them. So I'm that again, way with fanfic.net. I've got stuff on there that I would like to go away and I can't get into it. And no, no yeah. one is going to know my username over there. Don't ask. Yeah. yeah. And it's angel fire. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. So Yikes. It, yes. So, uh, so I was a big, um, angel West shipper. I didn't write as much of them. Um, but I, I read all of everything that existed and I was big into uh the Brat Queen which is an uh angel author from back in the day um who wrote a lot of Wes Angel and great Wes Angel and um like she's like the angel fandom version of Saber and Ferret and Sci-Fi Girl and Sinela all rolled into one to me anyway like I, I was a big fangirl and I'm okay with that um so 
the show's ended, fandom petered off, LJ strike through happened, and I got away from fandom for years. I wasn't in, I didn't think about fandom. I didn't, like, there, I was totally out of it. Um, and then, I don't know if I was already on AO3, like I'd heard about it and made an account just so I had one. Um, but one Christmas break, I got really, really bored and thought I would look up some of the old authors. And this was, again, like seven or eight years after being in the fandom. And I found that the Brat Queen had written a um, Tony Bruce fic. Oh. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is exciting. I have watched these. And I wasn't even into MCU yet. Um, but I have watched these movies because my husband, we weren't yet married at the time, um, but he insisted I watch these movies right from Iron Man. He was, he's always been a big Marvel Comics fan, so it was very important to him. And then when I found, I was a big Joss Whedon fan, of course, because I was a Buffy Angel fan. And uh, so I found out he was going to be directing the Avengers. So I was like, okay, fine. I will watch all of them with you as they come out, if you want, I guess. So- <laughs> this is a hardship. Please pay attention to my suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very much like, I guess I will do this for you as long as I get popcorn. That was like, it was, it was bad. <laughs> and at the time we were living in a town that the theater had burnt down. So we had to drive to the next town over, which was 45 minutes on the highway. In so order to commit a movie. Exactly. Like, okay, I'm going to get popcorn out of this is how this is going to go. And otherwise I don't care. And then, but yeah, so we were watching them and, you know, I thought these were really cool. I liked them, whatever. And then I saw this science husband spec and I read it and it was the Bat Queen. So I was into it and I thought this was really good, but it didn't grab me in a ship capacity. Right. And, like, I'm not one of those people who will see a media and see the homoeroticism in it just without prodding. Like, I, I, I'm dense, I guess, and I need it pointed out for me. <laughs> so, and, and I must have seen The Avengers by the time I read it, because in my brain it was Mark Ruffalo and yeah. Robert Downey Jr., right? So it wasn't Edward Norton, so I'd, like, okay. Okay. So I must have. I always forget seen. he was even the Hulk. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was a part of our lives. Okay. Yeah. 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 That happened. That, that was happened. Thing. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so I liked the fic and I liked the idea, but the pairing wasn't what I really, really wanted. So I started looking at other MCU stuff. Um, and I don't, I think it was the Say When series by Anne Tu Hu. That's the one that sticks out in my mind as the first Steve Tony story that I really read. And I was like, oh, oh, it's them. <laughs> they're, <laughs> oh, they're they make the sense. Yep, yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> for like, because for me, it's always sort of that. And I don't like, maybe I'm getting their characterization wrong because like, Tony's obviously so suave and debonair and like he's this billionaire and he's amazing and 
and like he's oh he always knows the right thing and where's the right thing but I in my head he's sort of like awkward and and kind of unsure of himself yes because I think both of those things are true about him yeah like I, I feel like part of that um like perfection and out there extrovert is is sort of an act to me yep. to me and you know everyone has their own interpretation of their characters and of fandom and of their pairing and a blah, blah 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 but for me i see him as this sort of like awkward kind of unsure of himself kind of maybe not the best self-esteem and then i see steve as sort of somewhat tortured what with all the you know world war ii ptsd and stuff <laughs> along um, with all the being frozen for 70 years like, yeah, yeah exactly put a damper on one psyche yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then but then other than that he's like upstanding and um like generally positive and and just like sure of himself i think and mm-hmm. that's always the pairing for me is where one of them is unsure of themselves and the other one is very sure of themselves and they sort of play off each other that way. So that's, that's why I'm very much a stony OTP person. And like, I'll, I really like, um, a lot of other pairings like Winterhawk I like, and I like, um, um, Phil and Clint for some ungodly reason, because, you know, their 30 seconds of screen time together where they weren't actually on the same screen did it for me. And, uh, <laughs> and I think a lot of it is reading fix. That's, yeah. that's what gets me into fandom because okay. yeah, they weren't together at any point, but reading the fix of them together, I'm like, yes, perfect. I see it. So that's what got me into Sony was reading other people's fix and seeing the way that they saw these characters wanting to get together. That so that's sense. sort of, that's how I fell into it. And, and then I went nuts and, uh, I am not great with moderation. So does so that mean I you went, just like hoovered everything? Everything. Okay. Like I, yeah. And I'm, I'm big into the long fix. I, I much prefer to read the long stuff. Um, that's just my personal preference. Um, and I, you know, I don't read work in progress stuff. I like it finished. I download it onto my phone into the Kindle app and then I'll read, like just read. You know, my husband and I'll be watching TV and during, if there's commercials, I'm reading during the commercials or like I'm at the stove stirring dinner and I'm reading while I stir. Like, it's just, I want in all of it. All of it, all the time. All of it, all the time. Long fix though, don't really lend themselves to porn as much. No, which is, I know. Really? Like, really? Robin just reads the, the long stuff, but the porn is all one shots. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm just and, like, there's no judgment in this question. There is just, no. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It so do you read so, as much of the, do you read as much porn as proportionately you write? No. Okay. No, I do. I like porn in my fix. Yep. I really enjoy reading it. Makes me happy. Um, but more often than not, it's like, it's a chapter here and there. Okay. So in your writing, the fix that stand out of your stories in my mind involves Tony and lace panties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, so yeah, there's a lot of things to talk about here. And I, what I'd love to start with, first <laughs> of all, is I'm going to assume you've given thought to this. 
<laughs> and if I'm wrong, then correct me. Let's, let's assume that I think about anything in depth. Let's do that because it makes me sound good. Um, <laughs> so in, in looking at your fix and at your work, so the two that stand in my mind are take off the suit where you have Steve restraining Tony against the wall with one hand. And then, so that's funny because I literally never think of that fic. I okay. had forgotten that I had written it until you mentioned it. That's funny because that's the one, that's <laughs> the first fic of yours. No, this is interesting. That's the first fic yeah. of yours I read when I was surfing a laundry tag months ago just out of curiosity. <laughs> that was the first one I read. Oh. Um, mm. But the so then there's my question when you think of the lingerie you've written in your fix what do you kind of think of see and i think more of steve in lace panties okay so tell me why <laughs> tell me about which why they're different like why um, do you sometimes put steve in it and why do you sometimes put tony and what does the lingerie represent for you in that story so okay so the first time i did lingerie fix um, it was very focused on Steve in lingerie and also a collar and there was breath play uh, because of course there was. And uh, I think it was a bingo fic. And yeah, and I had um, been scrolling Tumblr one day and I found just another tart on Tumblr, which is a Tumblr user. It's a uh, sort of a lean gentleman who likes to wear lacy lingerie and sometimes fuck himself with a dildo and then he posts photos and gifts on tumblr um, and there's less of the dildo fucking now which is really sad but um <laughs> the wistfulness uh, in your voice was very was was adorable <laughs> there's, there's less of that now i can feel so many of our listeners agreeing with you so. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. I miss it a lot because it was there was a lot going on there and it was really nice. Uh but so I had seen him posting himself in these photos and gifts of him in these lacy lingerie, you know, with a heart on and like a little bit of cock sticking out or like just pushed off to the side. And it like shook me because I had never thought of it before. It wasn't something I'd really considered. And it was like, oh, <laughs> that does it. That does it for me. So, uh, and then I was, I had this like breath play square for uh, um, a cap I am bingo, I think. Because, you know, of course I did have a breath play square. And I'd never played with that. And that's not one of my kinks. Um, so I threw the lingerie in there sort of to give myself something in it, I guess. And for whatever reason, I was thinking of Steve's body in panties. Because for me, so much of it is um, this really, m this masculine body, muscles and flat stomach and abs and the Adonis belt and like rippling thighs and then this like dainty lace fabric. And that's what I like about the kink itself is that contrast that, you know, typically masculine, manly, uh, macho kind of thing. And then also there's lace and probably it has flowers in it. Uh, 
because I guess I, I like things that don't feel like they should go together. So, uh, so I think of Steve in panties when I think of the lingerie kink, just because that's the first time I dipped my toe into it. Fair. Um, and then, but I'm very much an equal opportunist when it comes to sort of who's, um, wearing panties or who's on the bottom or whatever. I like to switch it up all the time. So I just, I think of Steve in the panties first because that was my first time dipping my toe in the water, I guess. That's fair. And I know that there's a lot of people who kind of connect lingerie with feminization, which to me are actually two separate kinks. Oh, very much. Yeah. Um, I don't think of them the same as at all. No, at all. So, but there are people that connect that, which I find interesting. Um, but I think the majority of people who, in, in outside of fandom, I should say, like the majority of, of people, my understanding of a kink community is that a big part of the lingerie is the juxtaposition. Yeah. Um, and I, like personally, the few lingerie people who claim a lingerie kink that I know talk about like <clears throat> taste, like tasting hair through the lace. Like that's a really big, like that kind of juxtaposition of yeah. the forbiddenness of it. Yeah. Yep. They particularly enjoy more than, for instance, referring to a man as a woman or or using, like, they would feel more, um, like, I don't particularly like fix wear when somebody's in lingerie. I don't love it when somebody's in lingerie and then we refer to the man's anal hole as a vagina. Like, that's not my favorite. Yeah. Because that's two different kinks to me. It is. And I think... um... I think feminization is more of a role play kink than because that's your role playing that one of the partners is uh, female. Yeah. So it's, it's more role play. And whereas the lingerie is the aesthetic, it's, you know, that sort of this dainty fabric over something that should be hard and marble, like masculine, like stone. Right. So I think that that's sort of what does it for me more than the role-playing thing. And I like, I'm not a big role play as a kink person. Mm, I don't know. I feel like I'm talking more about what my kinks aren't than what they are. (laughs) You know, I think it's interesting because the other one that crosses over to this besides like role-playing and feminization is other kinds of kink wear. Yeah. Because you get a texture kink within lingerie sometimes. Yes. And I think that's kind of the broader, for me somewhat, the broader category that lingerie might fall under for some users and some practitioners would be the idea of the juxtaposition of textures. Yes. I, yeah, I think kink wear in, and again, your mileage may vary, but this is where my brain is is kinkware is more like leather and PVC and rubber and uh, lingerie is lace and satin and, you know, kinkware again is blacks and dark reds and, and stuff like that. Whereas my lingerie, the stuff I like is sort of the light colors, the pastel colors that, so it's more of that juxtaposition, more of that contrast and kinkware is like a whole other bag. Yeah, and I don't think we see a lot of kinkware in our fandom. No, I'm trying to think of any I've read 
I, we see it in fan art. For sure. I don't think in, I, in fan art and wow, I mean, fan art. How do you not? <laughs> fan, fan, lingerie fan art is something special, I will say. Yeah. Um, and I fan agree. art full stop is something special. Very much agreed. Yeah. Um, I am so in awe of anyone that can draw anything beyond a stick because that <laughs> stretches my ability. Yeah, I am. I am slowly working my way up to uh, some perspective. <laughs> your your talent is wonderful. Why, thank you. <laughs> and I am uh, looking forward to the day where you draw full lingerie. That will be great. <laughs> and I will cheerlead it as you get there. But I don't know if I have the patience for lace, though. This is my problem. <laughs> well, who knows how long we're all stuck inside? So, oh um, shit, <laughs> that's true. So, in it, kind of in summation, then from what I'm hearing from okay. you, is that a, there is a secret element to this that yes. the juxtaposition is not something that is sh is shared with anyone else. Yeah. That it is, um, it's not that Tony wears silk suits. It's that Tony wears silk underwear. Exactly. It's, it's that kind of thing that is just for the person themselves and yeah. the partner they're choosing. Yeah. Which is potentially, it's not as much of a performance. It's more intimate. It's more intimate and it's more grounded in who they already are um, than in grounded in a role-playing or um, performative element which both yeah. kinkware and feminization would cross probably a little bit more into performative for most people. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. So it's almost like, it's almost like an ultimate intimacy. Yeah. Whereas the other ones are, they're bordering on exhibitionism, I guess. Maybe that might be a bridge too far for some people. Maybe. Yeah, that's fair. Because I think, again, like, I mean, so many of these kinks are gray, right? Like, there's no boundaries between them. They just bleed into each and other. And there, there doesn't need to be boundaries. There unless shouldn't. you have set boundaries. Exactly. You're, exactly. <laughs> Definitional boundaries are not what's important. Yes. It's personal, yes, exactly. cons consensual boundaries. No, yes. that makes total sense. So I think that's going to be interesting. What I'd love to hear from our listeners as, as we kind of think about this is if anything we said resonated with you guys, if you think that we're totally off our rocker <laughs> if you think that like, you know only it only perhaps you're not a stony shipper and so lingerie exists in your fandom but only one sure. it. um you know i'd love to know like we'd love to know kind of where you intersect in this completely so make sure to sh uh, tell us in all of the appropriate places and then before we kind of wrap up robin i'd love to know what fix you are reading right now what you're in love with what you'd love to tell our folks to read kind of give me your recs as it were okay uh i i struggle with recs and the reason that i struggle with recs is i read i actually i quit reading commercial fiction quite some time ago so i only read fanfic at this point i listen to audiobooks that are like commercial uh real fiction, whatever, uh, and true crime and stuff. But I, I only read fanfic. So I go through it really fast, which is yeah. horrible. I try to comment, but it is what it is. So uh, lately, I've been on a rereading kink, uh, kick. So I'm rereading some of my old time favorites. So I just finished rereading Celestial Navigation. A classic. Um, a classic. I'm currently rereading Counterpart by Sarah Holmes. 
which is, um, I know people have issues with kid fic, and so do I. <laughs> I well, also what an endorsement that is. <laughs> but I can reread this fic for the rest of my life and be happy. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's so good, and and it doesn't have a lot of the elements that um, people who don't like kid fic don't like about kid fic. Got it. So, you know, your perfect cherubic child that can do no wrong and everything about them is perfect and cute. And, you know, your, your pairing, whoever it is, is they're the best parents in the world. And every, like, it's, there's none of that happening here. And that's why it's so good. It's very realistic of a child who has been through hell and back and is acting accordingly and parents that don't know how to be parents they're thrust like it just it's so good so good and then another one that i have i have always uh been happy to wreck to people who have not heard uh read it is under god by isozyme oh my gosh that thick i know <laughs> Like, like my whole chest clenches up the whole time I'm reading it because I'm just so invested in like Steve's obvious pain. I know, I know. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Just, so yeah, that, that's one that I'm like, have you read this one? Like, oh, I'm looking for something kind of angsty. Oh, let me tell you about. (laughs) Yeah. Anytime someone says I would like some stony angst, I'm like, have you read Under God? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's very much like, have you met Ted? Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Excellent reference there. Great job. Um, Thanks. (laughs) So before we uh, wrap up and say goodbye for now, is there anything else that you'd like to say about Mm. lingerie, um, about Tony? Because this is his birthday episode. It is his birthday. Yeah. Um, I feel like I should have something really profound to say about Tony and his character. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think Tony is one of the hardest characters in the MCU, uh, to really dig into and write well, I think, because so much of him is, um, this genius, Mm -hmm. this level of knowledge, this like speed of thinking, all this math, all this science. and it's just really hard to sort of get into that rhythm and also get into like, you know, like I said earlier, his character is sort of always wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to write him um, because you're, you're trying to balance that mask. And when that mask drops, when he's with Steve, because they're madly in love. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of have to balance that in a way. And I find that hard and that, but that's why I like writing Tony. Yeah. Cause it's a challenge. Because, yeah. Like it's, it, you know, you actually you give a shit cause, cause he's Tony. So you want to do it right. So, I mean, I hope I do. Okay. That's all I can ask at this point is <laughs> if he's somewhat recognizable as Tony Stark, then that is good enough for me, for my level. <laughs> I think you do ask. a great job. I oh, think it's definitely recognizable in your fix. Um, oh, good. So much for joining us today. Thank you. And Thank I'm you sure for having me. We will chat again soon.
Okay, here's hoping. <laughs> Tony's birthday, we asked you who love him to share with us why you love the various Tony ships or even just Tony himself. We had such an amazing response and my dear friend Ashes0909 agreed to read each lovely message for you folks today. Take it away, Ashes. Robin Talkster says, I like frost iron because they are or can turn completely unhinged because of each other and one always more than the other and it's never the same one. I like seeing how they both flirt with danger, seeking the thrill together and finding common ground, be it their daddy issues or the want to be seen and acknowledged without the shadow they often walk in. Also, the entire concept of forbidden love. The issue of a mortal loving an immortal, it just promises so much angst and feels, which is something I can't ever get enough of. Tiny Frost Dragon says, I love seeing Tony with Loki because for some wild reason, they just seem to fit. Their personalities are strikingly similar, ranging from bad dad's trademark to using humor's tricks to cover up their insecurities. So I feel that they have a lot of, of common ground to grow from. There's also something I appreciate in Frost Iron content, that many fics make the two of them grow together as people, not just a couple. Being that Loki earns his redemption with Tony's help, or Loki and Tony both overcome the awful shit they've been through throughout their lives. They play and build off one another. And I love how soft they can be. I'm an avid Frost Iron fluff writer. When their harsh edges are chipped away and they can finally see how they're healing through being with each other. It's just so sweet. I also adore the people in the fandom. We aren't as popular a ship as Stony or Thorky, but I must say that we have some amazing people in our little group. Artists, writers, and just general fans alike. We push each other towards our goals and wholeheartedly support our creators. I have even made some good friends along the way. That's really, really interesting. Ferret, what do you think of those comments? Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, I've never really spent a whole lot of time in the fandom itself, but I definitely read a fair amount of Frost Iron, especially early on when I was still taste, taste testing and buffeting. Um, I remember one particularly really struck with me. I haven't read it again in a long time, but um, it's called Off the Record. And it was actually orphaned, so I can't remember who the writer was, and probably they don't want to be connected with it anymore anyway. Um, but I will link that in the show notes as well. Um, and I remember that being kind of a, a great frost iron example. But yeah, I love that both people mentioned their <laughs> daddy issues as being something <laughs> they can connect on. And I mean, my favorite part of Tony as a person is the, the snark and the banter and the the softness that that hides and Loki can be the same way. So having the two of them be snarky and bantery together and then also having those feelings. I'm, I'm super into that. I, I love Loki as a character. So this is just, you know, two characters I adore. Sure. Put them together. I'm into it. Yeah. I'm less into Loki as a villain in fandom fix because I think I see so much of the whole arc of Loki's story yeah now like i can't separate ragnarok from avengers like i yeah, just yeah, I yeah. can't so um i also love frost iron um i think it's one of my like i don't i don't have any confidence that i would write loki particularly well so i haven't played in it um yeah. i don't know why i have that perception but i don't 
I don't feel very confident in it. But I definitely read it. Like I said in the last episode, my, one of my very favorite fairy tale fix is a frost iron. We'll link it again. That's a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, one of the things that really stuck out to me was the last bit of Tiny Frost Dragon's comment where they talked about the people in the fandom. Yeah. That they're not as, as popular as Stony or Thorky, which are huge ships. Um, but that they have amazing people and all this kind of stuff. I will say, we've said it a number of times, but I was actually having a conversation with Mr. Flame in the last couple of days about why fandom has become so emotionally resonant to me. And a lot of it was because I came into fandom at a time where everybody was kind of looking to make new friends on a certain level. And I, I came in at a very specific time where we were all kind of, where a lot of people were grieving Endgame. Um, yeah. And a lot of folks were super warm though. And they were really ready to tell me everything they loved about their ship. And I would hop around to all these other Discord servers and be like, so tell me why I should love whatever. Um, and I remember doing that for Frost Iron and people saying the snarky thing and they sent me a whole bunch of links and they were super warm. And then I just happened to fall face first into Stony and <laughs> Stony and Winter Iron and I have not emerged. But when I started talking to the people on the server for this project and said like hey could somebody like just tell me what you love about tony and loki the incredible warmth of the of the particular server that i was on reminded me how lovely this little fandom ship is um and so as an outsider and somebody who was only kind of flirted with this ship in terms of fandom i can affirm what tiny frost dragon has said for them but I can also say the lovely, like that is why we keep coming back yeah, to, to create. I don't create these work. If I was just creating these works for me, like none of you would ever read them. I do write for you all for your enjoyment and for your love and for your joy. I write to help you in some way. And I love that that's baked into this world. We've all, we all create with each other all the time. I think that, and yeah, I've said, I've said before that like the reason I'm still in Stony after this long is, is because of the people. And I don't, I've, I've had other ships in the past. I, I usually would fall in and out and I'd go through periods of not reading or really engaging with anything at all. And then I'd come back to it. But this is the first time I've been like a part of a fandom and it makes a huge difference. I, I think about this stuff every day. I, you know, you and I are recording a couple times a week and I write every day and I, you know, running events and doing that kind of thing. And it's just become a part of my life in a way that previous fandoms haven't. And the reason for that is that this time I met people, I engaged with people, I made friends, I connected to it. So it has a, it has a humanness to it instead of just a consumption of media. So yeah, it's really valuable. to have a fandom that you love, regardless of how big or small it is or how, how much is produced. If you have friends there and you feel happy there, that's ultimately what fandom is about. Absolutely. I, just a little fun thing too, I was working on the latest chapter of one of my long fix, and one of the people that I, like that I know is really engaged in the fix really, really loves it when I drop Hamilton references. Uh-huh. Um, and I found myself with an opportunity to either drop a reference or not. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it because they're reading this and I know it'll bring them joy. Like, yeah, I love that. I, like that's, and my beta, Marie of our events forecast and everything else is one of my primary betas. And she, like, I know what's going to make her like laugh out loud at this point now. Cause I've been writing for, we've been working together for so long. 
And so there's a couple times I have to warn her and be like, you are going to lose it at this paragraph. Please make sure you're not in public. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like writing things that I know Ashley will like. Yeah. Um, or sometimes I'll write things I'll, I'll, as I'm writing the sentence. I'm like, she's going to, she's going to have something to say about this. She's not going to like this construction or whatever. And I'm, I just leave it anyway, just to be contrary. And then she'll comment on it. I'll be like, yeah, I should change it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. No, there are definitely times where, I mean, even we haven't been working together that long and I think that about you, I'll be like, oh, that'll be, if I make that point fair, it'll really, really dig it. So <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so it's the people. I've been it's the people. Fandom, just like Asgard. <laughs> the people, not a It's the people. So thank you to Robin Tochter and Tiny Frost Dragon for your comments on Tony and Loki. And we'll move on to our next little piece. May says, I think a lot of my favoritism also just translates from Tony and Bucky being two of my favorite MCU characters. My love for my favorite characters makes me want to read content with them and focus around either or both of them. I think a simple way to put it, it is my mindset is two characters slash people I admire and adore finding happiness through romantic attraction with each other. With that said, I do feel like there's always been that possibility of a bond of understanding between Tony and Bucky through similar shared life experiences of being tortured and being thrown into coming to terms with horrors of their lives. Also, unhealthy coping mechanisms, such as continuing to shove it down into a little box and moving forwards. I think it does a lot for a relationship to have someone that chooses not to judge based off of secondhand sources and treat you like a person. It's refreshing and relaxing. Tony would know too, growing up in the limelight as he did, how important and precious creating your own judgment is to someone else. It's something regular folk might take for granted. And Bucky in general is very interesting because in the MCU, there's only bits and pieces we get to see. So in fandom, he's fair game for anything. People can make him cocky and sassy and ready to murder. And they get a sort of pass to do anything with him in a way more fleshed out characters usually aren't played with as much. I do note that fanon can do anything with any character that they choose because fic and other creations are up to the author to play with as they wish. It's just interesting to see what people do with a character that has less canon to play with. One of my favorite things about Tony and Bucky is the softness and the love they tend to find for themselves through each other in thick. They tend to be shown to have very similar characteristics and coping mechanisms in the majority of fandom that sort of fits into it easier. Or maybe it's just simpler to love somebody else than yourself. I think with these similarities, it allows them to change their self-hatreds to more self-neutrality, if not self-love. Sort of the, I love the person I am when I have you beside me vibes. Also, having someone else love the parts of you you hide or hate. Heck, loving you despite those parts even helps you heal yourself. There's a lot of different details I could jump into there because self-love is its whole monster in itself and is an individual and personal journey. Which brings me to one of my favorite tropes of canon diversion that I desperately wanted in the MCU. Tony and Bucky finding closure with the whole Winter Soldier killed Howard and Maria. Overall, there's just something about these two specifically tough, hard, angry, fierce, and lovable characters learning to be soft and take pride in being soft with each other that really does it for me. So right off the bat, I really like that, that this sort of approaches things from a different perspective because I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can come into a ship. And one of them is to fall in love with the relationship and the other is to have your favorite characters and just smoosh them together because they're your favorite characters. Yes. So acknowledging that um, from the beginning of this piece to say that, 
you know, Tony and Bucky, they love them both. So, you know, Porquino los dos, put them together. Yeah. And I love the point that I, I, that Bucky in fandom is in a way the ultimate enigmatic cipher <laughs> of the yeah. MCU because like I mean God loves Sebastian Stan he did a lot with a little but we have like he speaks what like somebody counted it once like 16 lines or something insane. yeah it's 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 like 300 words I think he gets total. so I mean what we're working with is looks and facial expressions and a lot of a lot of the stuff he gave us and he did a great job but we just kind of create everything else um and you have so many Bucky options and it's also interesting to have like with Tony Bucky we're getting arguably the character that has the most attention on them in like of the 11 movies I would be stunned if Tony didn't have the most words yeah no there's three entire movies that are entirely dedicated to him so yeah uh, Tony has the most screen time versus Bucky who has you know of the mainish characters he's one of the least yeah and uh that's an interesting that's an interesting contrast to work with yeah and I love to, like, we talk about, I mean, so as she, um, May ends the thing with talking about the closure, finding the closure from the Winter Soldier, which is a, if we're playing in canon Winter Iron, that is one of the things I want you to handle for sure. Yeah. Um, but what I love too is this idea that they both don't own their bodies fully. Yeah. In different ways than Steve doesn't. So yeah. like, and Steve's body modification is a thing and I love when we play with it. But Tony's and Bucky's is just more visceral in a certain way um, to me. But also the idea that like Tony never fully owned his life because he's been public forever. Yeah. And Bucky didn't own his life because of Hydra. And so they understand each other on a different level than any other character will ever be able to let them understand. And so she kind of brings that up this like, I love the person I am with you because you see me on a different level and I can be this kind of softer, I can be a snarky asshat because you are too. Um, And we both know that we're just hiding on a certain level. And like, that is really, the more I read them, the more they're becoming my OTP. Um, Mm. And I really just love playing around with them. Yeah. As I said with, Tony and Loki, I, I love when two characters can sort of hold their own against each other in the witty banter arena. So I think Bucky can can be there too. And, and you know, part of that again is that we have so little Bucky to work with that from a fan perspective, we can kind of do whatever we want. Um, and we get these little, you know, bits and pieces that, you know, Bucky has that in him, that little bit of snark. He likes to joke around with Steve. And so, yeah, put him up against Tony is... Uh, yeah, they're both fundamentally loyal. Fun. They're both, um, you know, and I, like this is a Stuckoni thing, but like I love that they both fundamentally love Steve too. Yeah, me too. Um, and so, and that they understand him in a different way than other people do. And so they understand each other in a different way. And like, I know that sounds really trite because like all humans understand each other, but like. It's just different levels to approach them from a characterization perspective. Yeah, um, and I... this is a really uh, when uh, May sent me this I was like oh you just articulated everything I really like about Winter Iron thanks for doing my work for me so wonderful (laughs) so we're done yes agreed yes cosine Marie says about Iron Strange they are the ship I first thought of out of Infinity War which was an Iron Strange movie and you cannot change my mind and I've never been able to let go of them since 
There's a lot to be said about opposites attracting each other, but what about characters that are so similar it could be uncanny when you put the major events of their lives next to each other? Not that Tony and Steven live the same life, but that their character arcs should match up so well and let us creators prolong it and see beyond to what it could mean in the context of their relationship. It means magic to me. It means these two men would understand each other even when they're being the worst assholes to each other and feelings are hurt or fatigue and PTSD are blinding. It means they would probably have memorable fights. They're both drama queens, aren't they? But that they would also find solace in each other because they are both so strong and resilient and caring and funny and ready to give so much for so little in return. They both suffer so much, been hurt so hard and so often, and yet they're both saving Earth while injured beyond repair, both physically and mentally. They both keep seeing the beauty in the world, no matter how cynical their sarcasm may appear. Tony the futurist and Stephen the man who made butterflies out of a spell to try and defeat the deadliest enemies Earth had ever faced. Just imagine, and I know that I have X many of time, how perfect they would be for each other once the dust settles and the noise quiets. How perfectly soothing it would be if only they were given a minute to rest together. No matter the amount of ships I managed to fall into, there's not a lot of them that makes me think anything is possible, one way or the other, forward and backward and fucking top and bottom. I just, I've written a 300 versions of them and I'll keep doing so because they bring me so much and the friends I've made connecting over this pair made of an asshole and a douchebag, well, they bring me even more every day. I have to admit, um, I haven't really spent much time in Iron Strange, so it was really nice to hear from someone who loved them so much why they do. This is a great example of what I love about fandom because I dabble in Iron Strange for sure. Uh, I've written a couple fics and one of them in particular that I wrote, I'm still very fond of and I had a ton of fun writing, Mm -hmm. but uh, I don't feel passionate about them this way. And I, I can see that like the, them being total dicks to each other is so much fun. And I get all of that, but like, I like playing with Tony's PTSD better with other characters, Mm. but that doesn't make mine more valid than Marie's. And like, I love how much she loves them. Like, I love it. I didn't come out of infinity war thinking that it was an iron strange movie, but go with God. Like, that's amazing. I love it. Um, And I certainly love this idea of them both seeing the beauty in the world, no matter how cynical they may appear. Um, Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's a really, I'm certainly going to be looking at Iron Strange works a little bit differently in the future. I really like that point. I think that there are characters that, you know, some people prefer characters who are more similar to each other and some people prefer characters who are very different and, and, you know, play off each other in a different way. So I would say that, that Tony and Strange are, are, are quite similar to each other. And that for some people, that's, that's a, that's the big draw. And, and it was interesting to see Marie talk about how, you know, some people say opposites attract and some people like uncanny similarities. Um, So sort of breaking down what's, was similar and different about, you know, each, each of these sort of, um, each of these pieces, people have, have kind of dived into that. What makes, what, what's the same about them and what's different? Again, it's just fascinating at how much we love and play off different. It's like everybody's magnets are taffy in some way. Yeah. Kind of, kind of manipulating the different pieces of it. I just, this is one of the things I'm so 
I hope that as if you're listening to this, by the way, and you're like, oh, I would really love to make a case, please send it in. Like these were amazing and we will keep interacting with these. Yeah. Yeah. This is not just for Tony's birthday. We're all, I mean, we're also going to celebrate Steve's birthday. So if you've listened to these and you love them and you have a Steve ship you want to do, feel free to write that at any point. But, uh, but yeah, thanks Marie. Cause I was, it was really, I like hearing about the ships that I haven't really interacted with because it's, it's a whole different world. And it also just shows you how, vast fandom is like i think i'm aware of most of the ships except for some of the really 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 rare pairs but it's always nice to sort of see people i mean we did this because we wanted to showcase people's love and so this was great love thank you and speaking of how vast fandom is next up is a letter about a pairing from 616 b2 says Okay, so I want to gush about 616 Hank Pym Tony a little because they keep interacting in old comics I'm reading and form a mutual appreciation society. 616 Hank seem, is a lot different from MCU Hank, who, even though I love him, seems to be based almost entirely on the issue where Hank called Reed Richards a bitch and broke into his house. My favorite part of the ship is the amount of times that Tony, and also Steve, would end up hurting themselves during the line of duty and Hank would be the one who had to patch them up. And he'd stay up the entire night worrying and would grumpily be like, you have a heart condition. Stop scaring me so much, when Tony woke up. He'd also try and hide his own injuries a lot, but Tony would notice anyway. There's a 1985 West Coast Avengers where Hank is trying to avoid being on the team again and just wants to be the team's butler. But Tony is not having it and just keeps calling him an Avenger. It has a really cute scene where, after a version of Ultron advances him, himself so far that he starts feeling love for his father and sacrifices himself to save Hank from an older model, and Hank takes it really hard and Tony comforts him. I just love the butler era, to be honest. It leads to good secret relationship. I wish it was more thick, but clench his fists. There's not enough 616 thick. There isn't really any canon evidence, but I like to imagine them having met as kids because both of them were really scarily smart and also childhood friendship. But basically, it's a sort of opposites attraction because Hank is a shy guy who loves ants and mad science, while Tony is an extrovert who also loves mad science. They bond over science and also mutually being annoyed by Reed. And here we have back to another one where it was opposites attract, but then they have similarities that they can relate to. I find this one really interesting because I know next to nothing about 616 Hank Pym, and my Hank Pym is Alt's Hank, which he's a fairly prevalent character, but he's not one you really want to ship with anyone. He, he's married to Jan at the beginning, and it's not very nice. Um, like a lot of bolts, <laughs> people are not very nice. So yeah, I mean, this, this little letter made me want to read some of those, read some of those issues. So I, so I could see that relationship because it's one that I haven't seen touched on anywhere. Yeah. And here's where I confess that I haven't seen either of the Ant-Man movies. So I don't know oh. MCU Hank Pym at all. And I don't read 616. So this was just fascinating to me to read when, uh, Beto sent this in because I just, I was like, oh, tell me more. What yeah. is this person about ants and science? And I'm always fascinated by mentions of Reed Richards because I just see Ian Gruffold in my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he was such a poor, I know, casting decision according to fan fans for that particular movie. Um, so I, I like this idea of Tony um, loving softer, shy people. And I'd be interested if the stuff that uh, Beto says in that clip about Hank if people who ship Tony and Bruce in the MCU uh, kind of feel the same way. 
Yeah, I, I felt a bit of an echo there. I'd be interesting interested to hear if 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 Beto and if other people who ship Hank Tony see an echo there. Um, I, I love the idea of Tony calling him an Avenger and you know drawing him out onto the team, even though he's reluctant to do so. That feels very Tony. And and yeah, you're right. Very like his relationship with Bruce. Yeah, it's just a lovely kind of dichotomy with the more bombastic relationships that Tony has that seem very loud and take up a lot of space. One of the other things we all love about Tony is his quieter relationships. And yeah, and when we see him alone, we see a lot of that quiet side. And Pepper brings out some of that quiet side in canon, so... Yes, and those the moments, I think some of the sweetest moments, I mean, even I loved all the cabin scenes in Endgame where they were talking about alpacas and all of that. That's the Tony I love the most. Um, Not the one who is building Ultron because of a panic attack, but I love the one who, you know, um, builds Pepper Rescue because um, he wants to protect her. Like that's kind of who I resonate with. So I love that it exists in all these other ships as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Beto. And you've heard from us a lot, obviously, because, sorry, it's our podcast, but- You're welcome, universe. (laughs) You're welcome. But we got this really great letter from M. Samro that was essentially just titled, Why I Love Tony. We wanted to give them the last word in this particular section. We're going to let M. Samro take it away. Thanks again to Ashes0909 for reading all of these for us and being another voice. And we will see you guys in Creator Corner. Why I Love Tony from M. Samro. What I personally love about MCU Tony is that he does have incredibly glaring flaws on a personality and character level. He is a self-absorbed narcissist. He has a pathological need for constant attention, whether positive or negative. He's thoughtless, even on his best behavior. And on his not best behavior, he gets a kick out of being casually cruel to people who have less power than he does. And it's not like his flaws inform his heroism. He's not a hero because of them or a hero despite them. He doesn't overcome them. He's just a hero also. These extreme positives and extreme negatives coexisting together, which I find fascinating. Whereas MCU Steve, in my headcanon conception of him, is far more integrated in that every aspect of his personality informs his heroism. His stubbornness, his stoicism, his occasional rage, these can be slash are flaws and stumbling blocks in his personal life, but he channels them into the mission and he wouldn't be the hero he is without them. Whereas Tony could still be a hero if he wasn't also a narcissist attention-seeking bully. But as I see it, he's just still too insecure to let go of that part of himself. He needs to occasionally keep pushing others down to keep himself up. And people do a great job exploring the daddy issues and other reasons behind that. But that's why I think it's so hard to write a really accurate but still likable MCU Tony. It's a real balancing act of being true to his very toxic flaws while doing the other good parts justice as well. And on the page, you don't have Robert Downey Jr. there to soften things up with his charm and his puppy eyes. I think in fandom, we tend to magnify the sweet parts and downplay the toxicity, getting rid of the cruelty and sticking with the softer flaws of immaturity and arrogance, which is definitely nice and makes him more palatable and a lovely romantic hero, and I eat that shit up. But I really admire when writers can keep even the worst traits intact and in balance. So that's my take. Happy birthday, Tony.
Today on Creator Corner, we're going to leap off the POV conversation we had a few weeks ago and talk about a trope that is most often used with Tony's POV, but not really talked about or even identified, and that's unreliable narrator. The concept of an unreliable narrator is a fairly broad one, but at its core, the idea is that the narrator of the story, so the POV character in a limited perspective, like first, close, third, or, or something, is describing their surroundings, recounting their story, and thinking about the people they interact with in a way that is inaccurate in the grand scheme of things. There are a few different reasons why a narrator might be unreliable. In murder mysteries or thrillers, it may be because the narrator is purposefully deceiving, keeping a truth from the reader so the tale appears to have one solution when in fact, the narrator themselves was involved with the crime. This is kind of where we get the phrase red herring, for instance. Sometimes it's because the narrator is young, naive, or has a sheltered worldview. The book Room by Emma Donahue, for instance, that then went on to be a movie with Brie Larson and that she won an Academy Award for, the first half of that book is told from a five-year-old's perspective. And so it's a very different story when you get to the second half of the book and realize that the five-year-old was an unreliable narrator. Sometimes it's because the situation that the, that the narrator is in prevents them from seeing all facets that are affecting them. And let's be honest, that's all of us. So for an example, let's think about the movie, The Truman Show. It's okay if you haven't seen it, I'll give you a little rundown of how it works. I picked a movie specifically for this example because like many movies, it doesn't have a clear cut POV like a book would have to have, which lets us imagine how different this story would look told from different POVs. If you haven't seen it, I'm about to spoil it, <laughs> but it's about a young man who lives an idyllic little life in an idyllic little town. However, it turns out that his entire life is actually a TV show. He was taken as a baby and put in the show and everything that happens to him has been decided by the production team. Everyone else in the town is an actor. The whole rest of the world is dedicated to watching the show, but Truman doesn't know he's being watched. If we were to read the beginning of that story from Truman's perspective before he starts to suspect what's going on, we as readers would be told facts by him like, this woman is my birth mother, this woman is my wife, and the boat crash that happened was an accident, and my dad is really dead. But every single other character in the whole story knows that these facts are lies. Truman would be an inadvertent unreliable narrator. But what if we heard the story from the perspective of the producer of the show? We as readers wouldn't be told those facts were the truth. The producer knows the set, the job, his family are all lies. But he might tell other lies. He might tell the reader that Truman is happy, that this is for the best of everyone, that he has done Truman a favor by controlling his world like this. One is an unreliable narrator because he is limited by what he can see and know. The other is an unreliable narrator because he has to live in denial to justify what he's doing. Every time a reader is told something as fact that is not actually fact within the world of the story, you're dealing with an unreliable narrator. Like many things, this is a sliding scale from small misconceptions to, for example, the life of Pi, where at the end, again, spoilers, we are asked to question whether anything we just read was the truth or not. There's a larger conversation to be had in here about the stories we tell ourselves and how often we as society are unreliable narrators of our <laughs> cultural history, mm -hmm. but this isn't Professor Flame's history corner, so let me move on. How does this pertain to Tony? Well, honestly, we see Tony used as an unreliable narrator for a couple of reasons. One of them is the most commonly probably because of his personal insecurities. As Robin talked about earlier, one of Tony's defining features is this difference between his public mask and his private fear. 
that insecurity twists the way he sees the world. And that's one of the things that even though he is in his own skin would tell you he's totally in control. Like the arc of the first three Iron Man movies is kind of him beginning to understand that he is his own unreliable narrator. And I think what he realizes in the cave in Afghanistan, for instance, is that he realizes that the, the stories he's been telling himself about his life are all lies. That what was happening, that's what Gomera really is for him. That's what seeing it, he had told himself what Howard had been telling him forever, that these weapons are important because you have to carry a bigger stick. And then when he saw the truth, he had to realize that probably all along, he's known that that's not true. Probably all along, he's on some level, he's a, clearly a genius. He's not, he's, a, he's obtuse, but he's not a complete idiot. He probably consciously chose to not engage with that side of his brain and the cave made him do it. So then you get to Iron Man 3 where his panic attacks make him feel these really visceral threats that aren't actually there. Like we as viewers can see that he's not in danger. The story that dives into his mind paints this different picture and is we are told from his perspective that these dangers are very real. There's the subtle moments like his choice to build Ultron because he's completely convinced this threat is coming. The fear that drives that, the story that he's telling himself, which is then twisted with the story that Wanda puts in his head, makes this view of the world unreliable. And he's spinning so far out of control, he doesn't even know he's unreliable. When we explore that in fic, in a narrative, we can lead the reader to the same conclusions the character comes true. Necessary, if we had an outside perspective, it would be clear that that conclusion Tony just came to is not actually the truth. This is a powerful narrative tool in a lot of ways. It lets you have the trope of the narrator turning out to be the murderer in a mystery. It lets you build worlds like The Hunger Games where information slowly trickles out to the narrator character and as she learns more about her situation, sometimes accurate and sometimes not, it changes obviously the way that she interacts with her world. With Tony, we can do this in soft, small ways. For instance, him being sure Steve doesn't like him. He may describe in his narration, Steve is cold, disappointed, commanding, frustrated with Tony. But then as the story goes on, we start to see cracks in that narration. Steve is shown instead to be maybe nervous, unsure, even in love and scared to say it. As Tony discovers these things, so do we as readers. There's also larger ways we can explore Tony as an unreliable narrator. My personal favorite is to explore his PTSD, not just things regarding like space and water and how they can create feelings of danger where there isn't any, but his very real PTSD from, um, I think like just his whole world crumbling around him and everything falling apart. And there's specific triggers like water um, the waterboarding and enclosed spaces and people handing him things and we see that kind of stuff and then of course like flying a nuke into a into a hole in the sky because of course that's gonna mess with you <laughs> um it's gonna fuck you with with you a little bit um but then of course this man who's afraid of small spaces puts himself in a suit all the time and like what does that um what does that dichotomy mean? But these nightmares, as we kind of play with them and fic and write with them, they can be written as real, submerging the reader into the same fear that Tony's in, only to reveal a couple of sentences later that it was only a dream. So you can also create conflict between the narrative character and the reader. Um, I am playing with this a lot in the long uh, whip that I'm doing right now while you were sleeping, at, at least according to every single comment I have gotten in the last three chapters. <laughs> And I know, Ferret, you do this with some of yours as well. Mm -hmm. Tony may come to accept Steve's feeling for him much more slowly than the reader does. 
the reader can figure out that they're just in the head of an unreliable narrator or perhaps multiple unreliable narrators <laughs> and use that conflict with the character to drive the emotional impact of the story. And it's what leads us to comment, why won't these idiots just use their words? I actually think that this is sort of a, it's an almost unique aspect of fan fiction specifically because when you know what the ship is and you've sought something out because of a specific endgame ship and so you have an idea of how things are going to turn out, you are less likely to believe an unreliable narrator who sees um, impermeable obstacles to that relationship and more likely to be like, why won't you just talk to each other? You guys are, you know... I've 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 had single POV stories where one of the characters is being appears to be quite cold or indifferent um, or not interested, and you, you still get a lot of comments of being like, "That person just loves you. Why don't they? You know, why won't you just talk?" And it's like, "What made you think that they that they loved the POV character? They've they've not shown that at all." But it's this acceptance that because we are reading fan fiction and we are here for a specific ship, and there was a happy ever after tag on the story that we know they must be unreliable. Yeah, that's interesting, because I also read a lot of romance novels, which don't necessarily have a ship, but the, the couple is pretty much introduced on the back cover. Right. So what makes it interesting to me as a writer then is creating valid enough reasons to the characters for them to not use those words and continue to be unreliable. Yes, absolutely. Like how far can I stretch <laughs> How far can I stretch that a human being would make these decisions before I give in to the contrivances of fan fiction and allow them to confess their love for each other probably much qu quicker than they would in real life <laughs> because humans are terrible at using our words. So true. Um, but this is, yeah, like you said, the, the fic, I like that point about the single POV because I don't really write single POV, so I haven't gotten those comments. Right. Uh, that's fascinating that, yeah, they, we imprint the ship, like we imprint the happy ever, happily ever after onto it, even if the story isn't there yet. Yeah. So that's really interesting. I often feel like my readers are jumping the gun sometimes. I'm like, no, 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 he doesn't even love him yet. Like give them time to fall in love, but they're so ready for the love to happen that they see it right away. And I mean, maybe it's also, you know, I don't want to say a failure of my writing, but I can't help but write those little, those little notes in there that show that they're going to be in love very soon. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I don't think that that's a failure of your writing. I think that that's, you have to play with us both ways. Like you have to keep them apart, but you have to also let us, like you don't write a whole lot of enemies to lover stuff, like flat out spitballing enemies. No, maybe only once or twice. Yeah. And so the, if you're not going to write a like flat out, like, and there's, I don't read a whole lot of fic that are super strong enemies to lovers. I'll do like bickering or indifferent. Yeah. But like the novels I've read, like there's one by Sally Thorne called The Hating Game. Like these two people hated each other. Right. And were corporate rivals and like all this other stuff. And like, you know, they're going to get together at the end of the book because they're the couple on the back cover. Right. But it probably wasn't until 75% of the way through, like we realized they loved each other at the same time they did. Interesting. And if we, if the reader, if she had done a different pace to that book, it wouldn't have worked as well. Yeah, it's a it's a big challenge to get readers to forget, like if especially if it is one POV and there is negative feelings there. Mm -hmm. um, it it takes a lot to convince readers to forgive the character that 
is hated by the POV character. Even yep. there's slower to forgive than the POV character usually is. So I think that's a hard pacing game to play to bring it to a point where the reader wants them to fall in love instead of being like, wait, I thought we still hated this guy. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, and it's almost like you're the best friend getting together over cocktails and being like, wait a minute, who do we yeah. hate again now? Yeah. Like, you, wait a minute, you're fucking him now? We hated him last week. What's Excuse going me? on? <laughs> exactly. So like, I mean, there is a very clear balancing act and we have to think about it not only as, as creators, but honestly as readers, because everybody like your mileage varies on this tension. There are, there are stories that I'll forgive a whole lot more just because of the way the unreliable narrator is played with. And then there's other t like kind of ticks where I'm like, mm, not so much. Mm -hmm. But as a creator, especially, we have to think about kind of all of these facets when it comes to giving the readers information through the lens of this narrator guiding them. Yeah, I think one of the most beautiful things about a close narration is getting to play with reliability. And I, more than you, tend to write with one POV. So I think it's both sort of challenging and exciting to use that reliability as both a barrier for the reader and an opportunity to show them things that maybe the narrator is being unreliable about. I think it lets a story unfold instead of slam down in one piece and it allows for twists and turns and gives space for a reader to be frustrated or upset with a character for the choices they make, but then still understand and forgive those choices because they're seeing them being made from that perspective. That's fascinating because I feel the same way about making sure to switch POVs. Like that's why I want to switch them so often so that I have multiple unreliable narrators. It's interesting. Guess, so that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I do switch POV, but I'm if, I, if I'm given it, if, if someone said you can only do one from now on, I'd, I'd just do one POV. I, I think that I prefer, I prefer having the reader fall in love with the love object. That's okay. a great phrase, is it? <laughs> no, 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 I see what you're saying. So like, if you're writing Tony's POV, you want them to fall in love with Steve the same way Tony does? Yeah, at the same rate he does and for the same reasons he does instead of getting to see behind the curtain. And I think part of that is that for me, the relationship has to be convincing from each side or, or in real life, you know, they, each person only has their one side. So for me, it's like, if I can convince a reader that this relationship is meant to be from just the one perspective, they're not getting any cheater information. All they've got is the same thing that Tony would have while he fell in love with Steve. And therefore, if it works, it was done well. That's interesting. Yeah, that now makes me feel like maybe I'm taking the easy way out. But like- No, I mean, I didn't mean to say no, you're it like not, that. You're For not me, saying that at all. No, you're not saying that's that. That's what at engages all. me. No, that makes sense. I, I didn't ever think about it that way. I think I'm such a context person. This is, mm -hmm. I'm like thinking as I'm talking here Yeah. that I want, and I also build up their whole worlds. Cause as we know, I know what times the trains run in mm -hmm. AU. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. like, I, I want the whole thing around them. Like Marie makes fun of me all the time. Cause I never just say so-and-so went out to eat. I name the restaurant and the dish they order. Yeah. <laughs> And that's not your style. So it would make sense that like, for me, you have to see the whole world in order for me to feel like I'm really building it. Yeah, it feels like a waste of creation if you haven't shown all the sides. I guess to a certain extent, yeah. And I just, I have the most fun also writing stories where the two of them are obtuse idiots and it's the friends that make them get together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, so that fits my style more, but yeah. they're always unreliable. Cause like I said, for me, fundamentally, I believe all humans are their own unreliable narrators. For sure. Absolutely. And we are, um, and so, I, and because you and I both try to write these folks as really gut level, vulnerable and authentic humans, it would make sense that this is kind of what comes out. So there are lots of ways to write Tony, especially when we take into account all of the AUs. Like I think about oh, yeah. the things that we can carry about him from universe to universe. Like we've even talked about it with comics a little bit between you and I, Farron, of like the things that I always have to remember I'm reading an alts fic when I hear, I see the word darling 400 times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I have to double check tags sometimes to remember I'm reading a 616 story because there are s enough similarities that it's almost like, sure, all like Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland, England, Wales, Australia, New Zealand, United States, and Canada all speak English. Yeah. We speak somewhere around 900 kinds of English. At least. And like I say, all, I tell the story all the time. The first time I went to Northern Ireland, I was sitting there and somebody said, hey, do you want to dander down to the garage and get some notes out of the hole in the wall? Mm -hmm. And I just blinked at them. It was like, <laughs> I, I, those are words. I don't know what any of them mean. And of course it was, do you want to take a walk to the, like, to the 7-Eleven and get some money out of the cash machine? Um, and I didn't, it took me a long time to kind of put that through. And in some ways, like that's what Tony is from AU to AU, from MCU universe to, to from Marvel universe to Marvel universe. They're different you, dialects of the same language. He's different dialects of the same language. So there's enough stuff that's true. Like it's really weird for me to read a, a, a Tony AU that doesn't involve his relationship with money somehow. Mm. It's really weird to, to write one that doesn't involve parental abandonment issues somehow. <laughs> Nice. Um, let the man be happy, at least in one version. Well, you can overcome parental abandonment issues. <laughs> I, like, he goes to therapy in most uh -huh. of my stories. Um, but, like, it, there are some ticks for me that have to kind of go through it. Right, but right. the beautiful thing is the flexibility. Yeah. And the his role as this unreliable narrator, as we've explored here, especially with his PTSD, particular episodes and his particular triggers in the MCU. And I'm sure there are some in the various comics verses I'm not familiar with, but it allows for some really rich explorations into all the facets of his personality. And we hope that you consider this particular feature. You've probably written him as an unreliable narrator or you've read him or, or as this way before, and you maybe have never connected the dots that that's what's happening. So as you intentionally consume Tony Fix moving forward, um, we hope that you keep this in mind uh, when you are creating something for our favorite genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. And now it's time for Community Talks, and this episode's segment is full of polls. First, we ran a Discord server poll about preferred Tony ships that aren't stony, and people had a lot of feelings. The summary is that most everyone just wanted him to be happy, but there was a lot of talk back and forth. Yeah, Stuckoni won, like, with a bullet, to be completely frank. Mm. So they had 26 votes, which is good. I mean, that's about as high as our server polls kind of get on Discord. Yeah. Um, and then followed, followed by Winter Iron, which had 13. So there mm -hmm. is a real need for those three men to be together, according to our Discord servers. And as I, as Stacconi is one of my ships, I don't disagree. Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, that's like, I write mostly stony, but like, I've had times where I'm sort of like, is Stacconi actually 
my like my real favorite pairing <laughs> it might be because yeah, it includes it, all three relationships that I love the most yeah I would agree like it's really and I don't know why I don't write it more it's in, it's possibly entirely because there are just more events for Stony. like that's possible yeah it's true it's true but like I find myself in like Bucky Barnes bingo that I'm in right now. All of my squares are going to be Stuckoni or Winter Iron. Yeah, I'm in a I'm in the Starbucks bingo, and OT3s are allowed in that bingo, and I'm writing a, a lot of Stuckoni for that as well. I yeah, love I love Winter Iron, and I I specifically joined the bingo because I wanted to write more of it. Yeah, it's coming it's coming out pretty Stuckoni heavy. Oh, I'm not sad about that. Uh, no. I'm in that bingo too, and I forgot OT3s are allowed, so I'll have yeah. to. So other people who aren't us also really liked, um, essentially there was a movement to have Tony with a harem and just like everyone who could possibly love him. That comes from Simi who runs the Tony harem server. So not surprised. And then that led into a whole lot of conversations about like threesomes, foursomes, and moresomes. And I find it- Hopefully we can dive into deeper in a later episode. Oh, for sure. I wonder too, when I- notice like threesomes foursomes moresomes in tags on ao3 tony's involved in a lot of those yeah he's a he's a popular bicycle okay so there you go so like i wonder if there's other characters that are like we have as many fantasy like fantasies of being part of so many multiples i don't know i don't yeah i'm interested if like the factors that play into this because i can see a lot of things that might be a factor one uh, tony's the one of the oldest MCU characters in the sense that the Iron Man movie was the first movie in in this MCU universe. So people just had longer to to love him. And the the other, that also plays into the fact that he's had contact with almost every other character in the entire MCU as well. So there's a little bit of interaction for people to go off of as well. Um, And then just that a lot of people seem to like Tony because they either relate to him or he they relate to him as somebody that they would want to be with that makes sense what's interesting too is that we've got some lovely comics folks on our server who brought up um doom tony yeah that's a popular comics one for 616 right and then we just heard about hank and um tony in um let's talk for 616 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting that, I mean, like there's lots of rare pairs for everybody, but I like people were talking about Bruce Wayne and Tony in our chat. Yeah, I find that one really interesting because I don't know of a lot of crossover ships that have, that are as popular as Iron Bat. Like it, there's a fair amount of attention that that ship gets. And it's, for me, it's like one of the sort of iconic crossover ships. So I'm curious what other... What other fandoms, like I'm, I'm talking anything here, where there's a very popular crossover ship where it's like these characters do not share a canon, but people regularly or consistently ship them together. Interesting. There was a moment, I don't know if it's still happening, but there was a moment where I read a lot of Doctor Who Supernatural ones. Oh, I've never seen that. Which this is, is weird because like- I've been in both. I mean, that's probably part of the Super Who Lock thing. Yeah, I mean, it was like part of, yeah, and it was, I'm talking like FF.net days. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, I never read anything. I did not have an FFN <laughs> days, so. Oh, bless you. Um, yeah, but like, there was a lot of um, 
there was a lot of 10th doctor and Dean that I read. Okay. Interesting. Which worked for me, but that was also before cast came onto the show. Right. I, di- I didn't watch, I didn't watch SPN until after cast was on the show. So Destiel was like always my shit from the start. Totally fair. I watched from the beginning. It scared me too much when I, I was in university and I was living alone when it first came out and I watched the first season, which arguably is the scariest season or maybe the it is. Season, they just get, like, they get funnier after that. Yeah. 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 Like after season two, it starts, they get goofier, but like those first two seasons are pretty freaky and I'm, I don't watch scary stuff at all. And it takes absolutely nothing to keep me up at night because I'm scared of something. And yeah, SPN was too scary for me. So I had to wait till I was a grown up and I, I lived with my husband. <laughs> We're so glad that Mr. Fair could keep you safe. Yeah, he um, protects me from the monsters. Back to Tony. Uh, I also really love, like, we didn't talk about platonic ships in this poll, but we really should have. So that was an oversight on our part. Because, like, one of the things that I always write in my, when I think of Tony, like, Pepper and Rhodey have to be parts of his life. Yeah, I do it. Sometimes I can't fit both in, but I do try to do at least one. Yeah, and I can't, Pepper especially, just because for a whole lot of reasons, I like writing Pepper. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, like, I really think of her as his, like, platonic soulmate, like, in a lot of ways. And so if I'm not writing Pepperoni or Pepperstoney, because I do love writing Pepperstoney, even though I've only done it once, um, I had a lot of fun with that ship. I make her, like, his best friend. I also love making Pepper and Steve siblings. (laughs) for some reason. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's an interesting um, And that then, I think because I love the dating your best friend trope from romance novels, dating your best friend's brother, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we don't, we can't play with that a whole lot in MCU unless I create siblings. Yeah. Um, but, so we, like, Tony and his relationship with Rhodey, his relationship with Jarvis, his relationship with Happy, like, these are all, so, and then Bruce is a really interesting character to me, because people feel strongly about them being science bros, almost from what I can perceive as the same proportion as people feel them romantically linked. Yeah, I actually, I mean, maybe this is just my perception because when I first was consuming a lot of fic in MCU and I was kind of like, I was testing to see which ships interested me. I just sort of read everything to see, you know, what was out there and what grabbed me. And I read some Science Bros and Stark Spangled Banner, which is Tony, Steve, and Bruce. And maybe, so maybe my perception is off, but I had a feeling like there used to be a lot more shippy Tony Bruce content than there is now, like that that ship doesn't get as much for it anymore. No, I think when I was um, involved in Marvel Happily Ever After events, and we were specifically reaching out to science bro shippers to like ask them to participate in our events. They articulated that to us as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I don't see it. I don't see it much on MTH either. Not a lot of people offer it if I recall yeah. correctly, but I do feel like it had a sort of a heyday that like it was very popular, maybe like around age of Ultron. Cause they were working about together. To say, yeah. That's a, yeah. that's a real shippy movie in terms of like, a, yeah. And yeah. yeah. But a lot of people, like, Bruce, I feel like, is a character with, like, a lot of directions you can take him in. So the platonic versus romantic thing, I think, is is sort of an, is emblematic of how flexible, I don't know if flexible is the right word, but how varied Bruce can be. He's almost like a cipher. Like, you yeah. can really make him work in, like, I don't, you, it's, Evans plays Steve some very specific ways. <laughs> yeah. Ruffalo plays Bruce a lot more enigmatically. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, like, um you often you'd see a lot of tony 
Nat as a platonic relationship as well, and not very much, I don't think, Tony Nat as a um, romantic relationship, but people still seem to like it. I see it get mentioned a lot, but not a lot of people create for it. And I think she's also one of those characters that you can kind of take in any direction you want, because again, she's enigmatic. She keeps things to herself. Yeah, I actually just checked the stone, the Tony Nat tag because I am writing a Tony Nat fic mm-hmm. for my one of my Tony Stark bingo fills. There are 992 works on AO3. That's more than there are BDSM AUs. So yeah. there you go. Um, so 992, and the fandom when I posted my fic and asked if I because I posted it like this could be one chapter or this could keep going. Right. Um, I got a lot of requests for it to keep going because according to the comments, there's not a lot of long form Tony Nat fic. It's a lot of plot what like plot what plot. Right. Which is okay. great. But there's not yeah. a lot of longer stuff. Interesting. So I found that to be interesting. All right. So there's a thirst there. Like I, I it is interesting how there's there's a very definite difference between what fandom produces in terms of looking at those numbers and to see how popular a ship is versus how much people would want that ship to be created for. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily tell you whether there are readers or not. There are ships that have a lot of content, but people really aren't that thirsty. So your fic might get lost. And then there are some that are very small. There aren't very many fics, but people want to read it so badly that if you create for those smaller fandoms, you'll get a lot of uptake. It's really interesting, even on specific ship servers like POTS, you'll mention another character sometimes and people will be like, oh my God, I want that. Yeah, like sometimes people just haven't even thought of it. And as soon yep. as you put it in their head, it's like, oh, yes, I want this to happen. Yes. <laughs> I think yeah. that also happens a lot with OT3s if you have like an OTP or a pairing that you're that you're really invested in. And it's easier to like just add somebody else without it feeling like you're abandoning ship or, um, you know, <laughs> cheating on your OTP. That when it comes to OT3s, there's a lot of like, what if we added this person? It's like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, and it's why I think I like to play with a lot of really random pairings as my side characters. Yeah, 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 like, that's oh, a fun way to, to explore a, Yeah, I don't have to come up with a whole plot for you on this. <laughs> I can just, just tease it in the background. And see how it feels to write, which is how I came up with, to- with um, Bucky Pepper, but that's another story. I am interested, I've been interested in a while, but haven't actually written anything for it yet, but I like the like Sony, I don't even think it's, you can say it out loud, um, Steve Thor, Tony, but oh. I especially like the idea for alts because they're all very close and alts and like one could argue that Tony and Thor are actually closer than Tony and Steve. And yeah, there's a little, there's just a very little bit of those three out there and I've liked everything I've consumed. So like I'm, I'm sniffing it curiously. Noted. And speaking of alts, one of the polls that we ran on Twitter was about your favorite non-MCU Marvel property. I'm salty about this one. I'll say that up front. So, and I will say, I'm the one who came up with these four options. Farad had no say, because I think (laughs) she would have picked other things. So I wanted to pick two comics and two shows. So I picked Ultimates and 616, and then Avengers Assemble and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I will note that Twitter doesn't let you do any more than that, which is why we were forced to pick four. Yes. Um, uh, uh, Avengers Assemble was uh, one with a shot. They were 48%. That's huge. With four options and they won half the vote. That's, that's a big win. Which is, so that tells 
us that this will remind me that I really need to watch Avengers Assemble, but also to let you guys know that later on in the season, we will be having a conversation about cartoons. We will. So if you are like me and you're like, I don't, that sounds really fun, but I don't know what to do. Don't worry. We're brought in a ringer. We'll have an expert to tell you all about cartoons. I think that the, like I can say with a fair amount of confidence that the main appeal for AA that like I have heard over and over and over again and can see myself because I've seen some of it is just like how affectionate and married and uh, kind to each other Steve and Tony are in AA. It's very soft. It's very sweet. They, they do love each other and that's not, it's not something that they gloss over in the show. It's very you know, it's a kid's show, so they want to show, you know, team camaraderie, but it's really nice to have a universe where they just truly get along. Oh, that is so soft. Yeah, so that might be why I won. You have some real feelings about the comics hierarchy here. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I would have guessed that 616 would beat alts because 616 is much bigger. It's a much bigger fandom. It's much bigger canon. Um, and I know a lot of people don't like alts, and we are going to talk about it later on the show, so we'll get into that a little bit, but I love alts. I find 616 just a little bit too fast. I mean, I started out reading 616 comics, though not Avengers, but um, it's hard to get in, and then if you're in, it's hard to get out. I like that alts is contained, uh, and also just, I don't know, it's a characterization I love to play with, but I'm not surprised. Alts, Alts took 15, an, an admirable 15%, and 616 took 20%, which, you know, so they're okay not actually that far apart. It's not that bad. I just, you know, I want Alts to win everything, so. That's fair. They are some of your very true loves. That's true. Something else that ran away with the poll, heyo, was <laughs> our second Twitter poll. Um, which was, what is your favorite Iron Man movie? And everyone was very enthusiastic for Iron Man 1. Yep. Which won with 58% of the vote. And coming in second was Iron Man 3 with 34%. And then I will say something interesting to me is that every, uh, all the responses about why people loved Iron Man 3 had to do with Harley. Yeah. I mean, he was clearly a really popular character. I think that it was like that concept of Iron Dad was spawned well before Peter was on the scene because the relationship that Tony has with Harley is great. And I think it's a great, um, he's a great wall for RDJ to bounce his amazing sarcasm off of. The like, the, the, the family tease there, the Iron Dad aspect is definitely hugely popular. Yeah. I, I like Iron Man 3. I... What I remember of Iron Man 3 is a lot more about the um, the Mandarin kind of, and like the destruction of the house and everything else. I don't, which like to me is just also so key to Tony's personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I will say, I am a professional martyr. I will sacrifice myself for the good of other people. And so I always, like I kind of forget about Harley, but uh, I rewatched it after Endgame when that that actor showed back up at the funeral. Yeah, um, and I was like, "Oh, I really, I really like this one. I forgot <laughs> how much I liked this one." Yeah, I think it's kind of easy. I'm actually, well, I guess I'm not too surprised because Iron Man Two wasn't particularly popular. I hated Iron Man. <laughs> to be really honest, I hated it, and it's largely for me because I really hate Mickey Rourke as an actor, 
And so everything about Vanko took me completely out of enjoying that movie. I, I think that the ranking we have here of Iron Man 1 being the favorite, Iron Man 3 being the second favorite, and Iron Man 2 being a very far behind third favorite would reflect not just fandom as a whole, but possibly all critical ratings of the trilogy. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot of people who stand up. People will stand up for scenes in Iron Man 2, for sure. Um, and Tony's, like, physical look. And, of course, we get our first introduction to Nat. Um, so there are, like, elements of Iron Man 2 that I'll see people stand up for. But then, like, as a film, it seems like, no, 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 that was, that was terrible. <laughs> so. I've not seen that popular. So, yeah, I think that that's, I think that's fair. And, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, Iron Man 1 started it all. So... Yeah, Iron Man spawned the MCU, so we got to bow down to that, no matter what. We do, and it, and I think so many of the like elements of Tony that we reference, particularly in fandom, like his love of cheeseburgers, um, yeah. and the fun V, like those don't show up again in the MCU, but man, do they show up in fandom? Yeah, I was really taken and run with it. Like I, I think that. Yeah, a lot of fanon spawned off of that, like, separately before more canon came out and as more canon was coming out. So we fit new things into the Tony we already have instead of reevaluating our Tony, which sometimes can cause conflicts with canon if the people creating it and writing it don't see it the same way. But, I mean, there's a lot we could explore about the networkness of fandom and how how these ideas are sort of transmitted through fandom in a way that they're not in popular... in you know, for the, for other people, outsiders. <laughs> yeah, for like the official canon. I am perpetually fascinated by the way that we all decided that Thor likes Pop-Tarts. Like that's just one of the things. Yeah, all it takes is one fic doing something early on enough that people echo it and then it becomes a trope instead of being an homage to a certain person or a certain fic, you know? And yeah. That, that's, I find that super interesting. It's like, where do you, where's the line of what, when something becomes fanon? Which is totally something that we, we will talk about yes. later on. Because for instance, and I'll just like tease this, but my, I had no idea that Clint didn't actually hide in the vents at any point in time. Because <laughs> um, like, I don't rewatch the movies all that often. So I was like, oh, I just missed that. Okay. And then somebody was like, no, 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 that's just a fanon thing. I was like, oh, what is fanon? Tell me more. Tell me more. And then I yeah, learned Pop-Tarts. And now Thor, I will admit, Thor eats Pop-Tarts in nearly all my canon fix because I find it. I like it. it. I mean, I like Pop-Tarts. And if I were from another planet and someone was like, I mean, that's almost what happened to me because I was not ever given a Pop-Tart as a child. Like it was not a food I had ever had as a child. I had a lot of like, I don't want it to sound like my parents didn't let me have junk food. I did have junk food, but like I had a very particular subset of junk food, which does not seem to overlap with what a lot of other people ate. And Pop-Tarts is one of those things I just completely miss. So I had my first Pop-Tart as an adult and I was like, what? It's It's great. My Pop-Tarts are one of the things I missed in when I lived in the UK. And like, yeah. you can buy them at the American food stores. I'm using air quotes because that's usually what they're literally called. But my favorite are the s'mores brand, the s'mores kind. And those are harder to find. Oh, I love the s'mores. I love the I s'mores. Like the chocolate one. I'm weird in that I don't actually like them toasted. I like them raw. I think almost everybody likes them raw. I don't know anybody who toasts them. Oh, that's good to know. I knew some people in college who liked them toasted. No, I, that's not a normal thing. It's not normal to toast them. You toast toaster strudels, you eat Pop-Tarts yes, right out Yes, toaster strudels have to be toasted because you put the icing on, it has to melt a little bit. That's exactly. Key. And Gretchen Wiener's dad would be upset with you if you didn't toast them. She would. Um, 
Were you about to transition from that? Because if you could, I was trying super impressed. Speaking of toaster strudels, we're going to talk about something that has nothing to do with toaster strudels. Speaking of wearing, speaking of mean girls, yeah. Speaking of mean girls, we have some very nice girls who left comments. Hey, good job, Ferret. Thank you. Um, We, uh, yeah, let's um, talk about some comments we had on the pod. Over the last couple of episodes, um, we had one from Spacebound Witch on episode five, which was the one on AUs. And we also had the section in that about feedback and validation, and Space had this to say on that section. The words about needing to love your work and find validation from yourself, so important. Flame, thank you for mentioning Cool Runnings, a classic. The way you explained the scene made me think of Tony taking Peter's suit, though of course the situation was a bit different. And I have to say, like, side note, I was totally thinking about that, too, when we were talking about Cool Runnings, that if you're not, if you're nothing with it, without it, then you're nothing with it. Yeah, I just assumed that RDJ was referencing Cool Runnings. (laughs) Obviously. Because I don't believe that he ever, like, ever said scripted words. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, Okay, back to space. My first few fics were written because I felt drawn to a lot of the fics I was reading. And I thought, well, maybe I can do that, too. And honestly, my stuff doesn't get all that much attention. But to me, that makes the comments I do get feel all the more special. I've gotten bad reviews that did hurt a little at first, but I remind myself that I'm writing for me and not anyone else. It helps that I have a couple friends who read my stuff if I ask and give their feedback. In the beginning, I was a total stats person, checking numbers multiple times a day. But over the years, it's hit me how much those numbers are just numbers. They don't equal my worth. Nowadays, I rarely even look at numbers. A good thing to remember for people who rely on external validation. No matter what you write, there will always be at least one person who will enjoy it. So just write whatever's in your heart or mind without letting your doubts drag you down. We really should have just let space do that segment. I know, that's fantastic. I just, I, yeah, I can't express enough how much I count on that, like that, how much that one person is what gives me the motivation to finish stuff and post it and to not wallow in comparing too much of fixed success to another fic because... It's just about, you know, I post so that one other person gets to enjoy it. That's all that I need. Yeah. And on the days, I I mean, I'm still so new to, I think I'm still struggling with, like I said, in that segment, how to exist in this world that is both a constant feedback loop and one that can be completely silent. Yeah. And I wrestle with that, with that a lot. And so hearing you in space and a lot of other people reminding me it's about one person that finds joy really is why I share it with the community. It's a good reminder, especially when I like, like shuffle off into rare pairs that <laughs> yeah. seven people, like, I mean, I wrote a couple of uh, fix this year that are like the ship, the ships are so rare, they're canoes. Yeah. Um, and I need to remember like kind of what that looks like, but yeah, that, that kind of encapsulation is like the numbers are just numbers. It matters too that sometimes that one person you will never hear from. You don't know the person out there. Like we can all think of an instance where we read something and it meant so much to us in that moment. And for whatever reason, we couldn't comment or we were kudosing as a guest or something. And it's not going to necessarily be the person that makes your day as a writer with the comment, but your fic made somebody else's day that you're never going to know about. And just sort of welcoming that as a positive feeling instead of a negative feeling can be really healthy, I think. Yeah. And I think that's important. It's difficult, but important to remember. Yeah. So one of the other comments we got was from a lovely person named Caladice. Caladice, we apologize if we are miscommunicating 
your handle. This was on episode one. And they say, I never really delved into ABO since I'm not a fan of MPREG and just haven't got around to sorting through to find ABO fix without it. But I knew I had to read Celestial Navigation after this interview. Um, and I'm so glad I did. I loved it. I look forward to finding out about more great fix through your podcast and discord. I am just so excited to see that there are finally some fan fiction fandom podcasts making an appearance. The only ones I'd seen in the past were people doing dramatic readings and making fun of bad fanfics. So I'm really glad to see serious, honest fans creating content for people who actually love and appreciate fan fiction. I'm really looking forward to your future episodes. Well, Aww. we are looking forward to having you That's join us. Um, there is a lot of good ABO without MPREG, so I hope you find... There's a ton. There's a ton. Hard to find. Yeah. Um, and if you want some help, at me on Discord, and I will definitely help you find them, because I love ABO both with and without MPREG. And that's definitely, it was one of our goals of the podcast, to dig into, like, a fan perspective, and, like, the stuff that fans would want to listen to, and be a place where people would want their own stuff to be mentioned instead of horrified to find out that their stuff had been mentioned. So yeah, yeah. we, we, I am the only flame on this podcast. We will not be flaming other people's works. Um, Zero times. It's just not who we are. So that was really nice. Thank you. Thank really you so appreciate much. all of your comments. So don't forget the Tony's birthday week starts with the dropping of this episode and it will continue through to his actual birthday on the 29th. We will be reblogging and retweeting and creating content this week, all under the hashtag HBDTony2020. Sounds for Happy Birthday Tony 2020. Make sure you have the 2020 on there so we don't miss it. On Tumblr and Twitter. I will also note that Tumblr occasionally can be challenging with tags. So if it gets to the 29th and we haven't reblogged your stuff, then feel free to send us a message. Discord, send us an ask, um, a private message. We might not have time to respond to your message, but we'll make sure that your piece is in the queue. So send us a link or a way to find it um, so we can do that. We also have an AO3 collection set up specifically for works that reference Tony's birthday. So if you've created something, even if it was in the past, you can still add it to that collection and that will be open until the 29th as well. So fill it up. And speaking of creating things, here's only with our events forecast and some events that will hopefully inspire you to create even more. Hi fandom, this is Only More Love, your interim forecaster, back to tell you all about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you. A little note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast linked and explained in the show notes of each episode over on podonthesuit.com. All right, so now for the numerous and fun events that are happening. We told you the Cap IM community had another surprise event for us last forecast, and it was announced. The FanWorks Like It's 2012 Prompt Fest is underway. Prompting is open and will stay open until the end of the fest on July 13th, with initial prompt reveals happening tomorrow. There are no minimum requirements, any medium you can think of is allowed, and contrary to the general events guidelines of the COM, fills made for the fest are eligible for cross-posting with the Stony Bingo. The community has also issued a call for event mods to help with the upcoming Big Bang and the return of the tiny reverse bang. More info on what that entails and how to offer your help in the post linked in the show notes. 
CAPIM brings us a lot, and Marie has been helping on various events recently. Yes, it's work, but it's also a lot of fun and a different way to contribute to our community. So if that sounds like something you'd like to do, definitely give it a try. Are you a warrior of the fluff? A monster hoarder of the angst? A double agent who'll lean to either side whenever the wind allows? An epic battle is coming to you June 9th through August 9th, Stony friends. Time to choose a side, or not, for the first annual Steve Tony Games. This year, it's angst versus fluff. A bingo card will be issued, featuring prompts for both sides of the spectrum, and both teams will launch themselves into a merciless battle for their side to win the maximum number of points. Stay tuned! The sign-ups of the Marvel Blind Date are still open until the end of the round, and the first prompts will be revealed June 1st, so stay tuned for that. The artist sign-ups for the Marvel Reverse Bang have closed. Submissions are expected by June 12th, and writers will come in July 3rd for claims. Prompting for the Marvel Undercover Prompt Fest closes today, with claiming starting tomorrow and lasting until June 28th. Posting will start on June 29th. This year's theme is music, so get ready to vibe and dance, friends. A wild Winter Iron Shield, or Stacconi Reverse Bang, has appeared. Sign-ups for both authors and artists will be open until June 10th, with art previews happening on June 11th. Art should be 80% done to be submitted, and stories should be complete with a minimum of 5,000 words by the time of posting, which will happen between August 7th and 28th. The Stucky Mixed Media Bang is back for a round two. The event works as a prompt fest, with all the prompts being inspired by a piece of media other than Marvel. The minimum word count is 1,000 words. Prompting and sign-ups are open until June 1st, and additional rules and info can be found on their blog. A new Iron Husband's Big Bang has announced the opening of its sign-ups. They will stay open until June 8th for authors and from June 1st to June 22nd for artists. Artist claims will happen on July 3rd with a posting period starting July 31st. Writers have the option of choosing between a mini-bang, 5,000 words, and a big-bang, 15,000 words. Sam and Steve are also ready to have some fun from June 28th to July 4th with the Sam and Steve Vacation Week, a ship week with themes and prompts to draw inspiration from to create anything you want with no sign-ups or minimum requirements. Roadie Shippers Assemble the Roadie Appreciation Week has started and will go on till May 30th. The prompts are on their Tumblr if you haven't looked them up yet. The Tony Stark Bingo, Cap IM Bingo, and Comment Bingo, Cap IM Kink Meme, and Lights on Park Avenue are still open for participant signups and or contributions. And the links to all these are still in the show notes of episode 1. The Cap IM RBB is also still posting. So if you want to give some love to our Stony collaborators, go, go, go. This has been your events forecast. I'll see you next episode. Happy shipping! Thanks.
Thanks, Only and Marie. And thanks to the rest of the podcast staff for all their hard work. Thanks to Robin for chatting with me and to Team Mom Tony for the art. Also, don't forget that we're heading into Tony's birthday week and there is so much happening already on the tags. We want to give a special, oh my gosh, flail <laughs> to Miss Moody Bear who baked Tony a cake. Beautiful cake. And, oh my gosh. And made us all milkshakes and cookies to go along with it. Or maybe those are alcoholic. I can't tell. They're just pretty. Uh, unbelievable. And we know as we record this, that a lot more of you are hard at work on other things. We've been seeing some stuff around the Discord servers and uh, Twitter and Tumblr. And we can't wait to see what comes out this week. Some of you have already put works into the AO3 collection as well. So don't forget to keep those coming. And let's just have a fantastic week celebrating the man himself. Happy birthday, Tony. As always, thanks to you all for your comments, questions, and engagement. This is your fandom podcast, and we want to make it the best it can be for you. Remember, you can comment on the website or get in touch across any of our socials. Keep sending secrets and questions, and keep contributing to Tony's birthday party. He deserves it. We will see all of you for episode eight. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us.